Amen. All right, here comes your quiz. You ready, Bobby? All right, hey, here it is. Even though he was a man of peace and uh, he desired for all men and women to have religious freedom in Jesus Christ, he was still condemned to die. What? Yeah, he was born in 1503, and later he grew up and went to Cambridge, uh, where he became proficient in Latin and Greek. And as his knowledge grew, so did his knowledge, obviously, of the Bible. And so he began to hang out with people who had some good biblical knowledge, people like the likes of William Tyndale, as we saw before. In fact, this man even helped William Tyndale finish his English translation of the Bible. Why? Because this man's heart ached for the people of England to understand who God really was and how to come to him alone through Jesus Christ. So he wanted to be a part of the solution, not the problem. In fact, so much so that he became the first Protestant reformer to actually put into writing exposing two critical false teachings of the Roman Catholic Church. One was the false teaching. Maybe you've heard of it. They still teach it today, believe it or not. It's called purgatory, this mythical place where people supposedly die and then go purge themselves of their own sin through their own works of suffering instead of the suffering and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The other false teaching is transubstantiation, which is the belief that the elements of communion are the actual body and blood of Jesus Christ. The bread and the wine, they talk, turns into the body and blood of Jesus Christ, which means you're sacrificing his body over and over again. That's not what the Bible says. Jesus died once for all. Okay, and so this man exposed it, put it in writing. He was the first one to do that, but that was it. The Catholic authorities had had it with this guy's audacity to disagree with their false teachings. So they arrested him, put him into prison, chained him like an animal, and told him to recant. But of course, he stuck only to the word of God, whereupon they deemed him a heretic. They burned him alive with another man who this guy actually encouraged to trust Jesus as his savior right there on the spot. What a way to go, lead somebody. To Jesus is your last act. But it was this man's writing that God would use to light another fire under the Protestant Reformation to encourage others to expose the false teachings, even in writing, of the Roman Catholic Church, as he did, letting people know who God really was and how you only get to him through Jesus Christ. The man's name, of course, was John Frith. Say that one five times. right? John Frith, okay? And folks, I don't know about you, but here's just one guy, one guy who just loves God, and he loves people enough to tell them the truth, even to be willing to put it in writing and to sacrifice his life and put it all in the line just so others could know about Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but that sounds like something we should be doing today. How about you? That's the life we're living for, right? But once again, folks, this is our problem. You know the theme of our study. What's going on today? Even though God's the same God, we're just as much his children as John Frith is Okay, I'm getting it right, praise God. Okay, but here's the problem. What are we doing? Most of us Christians, we read the Bible in one hand, we take a look at our life in the other, and there's a disconnect, man. It's not, it's not matching up. It's not computing. How come these people like John Frith get to have this amazing walk, this fruitful walk with Jesus Christ? He uses them to affect change in a whole culture, but here we are fumbling around in the dark. We don't have a life worth living for. We got a, we got a life we're giving up. You ever been there? But folks, once again, this is the great news. That kind of life like John Frith had, a life we're living for, is available to every single Christian. So turn to somebody and say it again, even to Orson. That means you. In fact, let's turn to Orson and say that. That means you. That's right. You can take me later, Orson. Or beat me up, but I, I hopefully can run faster. But anyway, that's right. And that's why we're going to continue to our study, A Life Worth Living For. Okay? And what we're doing is taking a look at the different keys I believe are pivotal if we're going to have those amazing walks with Jesus Christ. Hello in these last days. 
right? Being those positive witnesses for him. We saw the first six times that first key was experiencing God's joy. Why? Because if you notice that we live in a joyless world lately, so guess what? You and I just experiencing God's joy, it's like a moth to a flame, man. It's a great witness. We saw the last 13 times. The second one was God not only gave us his joy, he gave us his what? His peace, it's a powerful two-bang punch. We don't only live in a joyless world, we live in a peaceless world. And so when we just pop on the scene doing our Christian thing with Jesus every single day, having a wonderful relationship with him, the creator of the universe, we're full of joy, full of peace, man, what do people do? Where'd you get that? Right? I was at Walmart, I didn't see that. Where'd you get that? Did you buy that? Is that what? And you get to tell them about Jesus. It's a wonderful witness, okay? But the enemy knows this, he's not dumb. He sees what's going on. He knows how powerful this is. And he tricks us into short-circuiting that joy and the peace that God's already given us, ruining our witness. And we saw the last uh, three times, the sixth way he does that is by getting us to have a misplaced understanding, okay? And there we saw, again, the good news from God that, listen, all we got to do to live a life without worry, i.e. full of God's peace on a regular basis, believe it or not, is you just seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. But the problem is that term nowadays, 2,000 years later, when it's been written, we don't know what it means. It's Christianese to you and I. Okay, what's God's kingdom? I don't know. And so we've been breaking it down. God's kingdom. This is what Jesus says you need to seek out. This is the biblical truth. If you're going to experience God's peace, get rid of this worry. You need to understand that God's kingdom means that God controls all things. He has the ability to do all things. Listen, he knows and orders all things, which means there's no such thing as chance. It's all ordered of God. We saw last week where you work, where you live. Even who you marry. Ooh. And not even when you die. And we saw, listen, this is awesome news if you think about it. Are you kidding me? You don't have to worry about nothing. God's got it all mapped out. And that's what Jesus is meaning with this phrase. Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. Listen, when you seek this truth out and you drill it into your heads, listen. I don't have to worry about nothing. I mean, everything down to the minute detail, where I work, who I married, live. It's all orchestrated of God. Now, here's the challenge, and I was waiting to get to this one. See, we'll get that. It's called the providence of God. It's called the sovereignty of God. We'll say, yeah, God's got it all ordered. He's got it all mapped out. I might make my plans, but his uh, purposes prevail, and, and he knows what he's doing. Now, here's the deal. We'll say, but listen, listen, but what I'm going through, here's what we say. What I'm going through is not good. You I, I get it. So I, I see that God, he's not the author of sin, but listen, but I'm going through painful. Did God forget about What's going on? Okay, I get it that he, or, I know he knows all about this. Okay, I know what's going, and we start to doubt, and you worry. But listen, folks, this is now where the phrase, his righteousness, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness comes in. You need to couple, listen, God's sovereignty, his providence with his goodness. The fourth thing we need to understand is God makes good of all things. I didn't say you're not going to go through some hard times, but you can still have a life without worry, one with peace, if you understand the character of God. God is good. In fact, only God is good. Uh, don't take my word for it. Let's listen to Jesus. Matthew 19 is our opening text. Matthew 19. Let's turn there, okay? And uh, we're going to read verses 16 through 22. And this is the account, of course, of the rich young ruler, okay? And this is his problem. And unfortunately, it's the same problem that people still do today, right? They go to church services thinking that, well, I'm just going to try to be a good person. That's how I'm going to get to heaven. Excuse me? 
You're not good. No one's good, Paul says, Romans chapter 3. No, not one. You're not good enough to get there. Only God is good. And that's what Jesus ultimately says. But the guy still didn't want to admit it. Have you ever done that? You tried to witness somebody. Listen, you're a sinner just like me. You're cut off from God. Only God is holy. You can't earn your way to heaven. Well, I believe in the Ten Commandments. I pay my taxes, right? I try to be a good American. I don't kick my dog too much. I try to be a good you know, citizen. <laughs> that's not it. You can't get there, right? No one is good except for God. Right? And this is what Jesus is relaying to this guy, and he still doesn't get it. So Jesus ultimately goes for the, the core of the issue. This guy was committing some serious sin. He didn't want to admit it. But let's take a look at the text there. Uh, Matthew 16, or 19, uh, verse 16 through 22. Let's take a look at how Jesus challenges this guy. He says, now man came up uh, to Jesus and asked, teacher, what, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? That's your first mistake. You can't do it. Right? But he didn't want to admit it. So Jesus, out of love, comes back with this. Uh, why do you ask me what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. Who's that? Obviously, it's God. And by the way, you're looking right at him. Right? There's only one who is good. And if you want to enter life, okay, fine. You don't want to admit that you're not good enough. I'll tell you what. There is one way you can get to heaven outside of Jesus. You live a perfect life. You obey all the commandments. What's the problem? You can't do it. And that's why Jesus said, fine, okay, fine. You want to play that game? Obey the commandments. And this guy actually had the audacity to listen to what he said. He said, oh, which ones? What do you mean, which ones? First of all, how about all of them? What do you mean, which one? What is it? But isn't that what people do? They pick and choose the Bible. I'll believe this verse. I'll take this one, but that one. Right? So, so which ones, he says there, okay, uh, to Jesus. And then he goes on. And Jesus said, well, okay, let's start with these. Do not murder right? Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony, which is lying. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbors yourself, right? And the guy should say, man, I can't do that. I've lied. I've, I've taken something. Everybody's done that, right? Doesn't make it right, but we've all done that, right? And what's he say? All these I have kept. <laughs> Excuse me, the audacity, man. You're standing before God. All these I have kept, the young man said. Uh, what do I still lack? Wow. So Jesus calls him on the carpet, and he pulls out the one the guy couldn't deny. You didn't want to admit that one? Okay, this is the one the commandments he pulled out have to do with man's relationship with man. Now he goes to the first two that deals with your relationship with God. None of us can even get past the first one, worship God alone. Number two, don't worship idols. Watch what Jesus does. He exposes. He says, okay, fine. If you want to be perfect... Go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Now, when the young man heard this, he said, I'm so excited I can get to heaven. No, he went away sad because what? He had great wealth. What was Jesus doing? <laughs> you think you're so perfect? You can't. First of all, I don't believe you. Hello, he's God. He knows everything. You can't keep those commandments, but I'm going to poke some big ones, right? I'm going to get the big glaring ones. I'm going to expose to you that you can't even keep the first two. You're not worshiping God. You're worshiping an idol called money. In fact, God right now in the flesh is right before you. If you would come to me, I will give you eternal life. But you love it so much and worship it so much that you said no, and you walked away from eternal life. Isn't that wild? Now, I bring this up uh, because, obviously, the Scripture is very clear. Again, this isn't the only passage, that no one is good. Again, Paul reiterates this in repleteness in Romans chapter 3. No, not one, okay? No one is righteous, he says. But Jesus points out, obviously, that, listen, that's the problem. There is only one who is good, and guess who that is? God. And I'm telling you this, guys, because this is the tip of the tip of the tip of the icebergs that exposes another character that I think that sometimes we in the church downplay about God to our own detriment. And that character is the goodness of God. 
And we need to understand the goodness of God, not just so that we can realize our lack of goodness to get there, and we need his goodness and mercy to get there. But we need to understand God's goodness when we go through hard times. This is where I'm going with this. You need to understand that you're not just not good enough to get to heaven, only God is good. You need to understand God's goodness when you're going through hard times. In fact, I believe if you take a look at this scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, this is one attribute of God that he is trying to drill into our heads. And I want to give you just a quick demonstration of that. We're going to take a look at just a few of the verses talking about the goodness of God, just in the book of Psalms, right? Now, this isn't all of them in the book of of Psalms, right, all of them. This is just some of them. And this is just the book of Psalms. Just one book of the Old Testament, not counting anything else. But I think God wants us to understand he's good, okay? But don't take my word for it. Let's take a look at a sample. Psalm 25, 7. Do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways, God. According to your love, remember me, for you, Lord, are what? You are good. Psalm 25, 8. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his ways. Why? Because that's the pathway to a good life. Psalm 27, 13. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And Psalm 34, 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Psalm 52, 9. For what you have done, I will always praise you in the presence of your faithful people. And I will hope in your name, for even your name is what? Good, God's name is. Psalm 86, 5. You, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call upon you. Psalm 100, verse 5. For the Lord is good, and his love endures how long? Forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Psalm 106, verse 1. Praise the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord. Why? Because he is good. His love endures forever. Psalm 119, 68. You, God, are good, and what you do is good. So Hello, teach me your decrees, man. That's the way to go. Psalm 135.3, praise the Lord for the Lord is good. Sing praise to his name because that is pleasant. Psalm 145.7, they celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. And Psalm 145 verse 9, the Lord is good to who? All he has compassion on all he has made. Now, folks, I know it's still kind of early in the morning, but I think you guys can get this one. I don't know about you, but I'm starting to get the impression, Mark. The Bible is wanting us to understand something about God, some sort of character, some sort of aspect, an attribute that he's really trying to drill it in our head. And I'm thinking that attribute is God is good, right? You're still not getting it. So I'm going to have to help you out with some analogies here in a little bit, okay? But God is good. Now, here's the logical thing about that. And that's what one of the, the, the passages there from the psalmist was alluding to. It's not just that God is good. Stop and think about what that means. That means, therefore, logically, all things, listen, all things that God not only does, but all things that God ever does must also be good. Why? Because logically, otherwise, he wouldn't be good. Okay, let's take it a step further. Here's the point. It's understanding this aspect of God's kingdom. This is his righteousness, his goodness, It's why I believe that Paul makes this amazing statement that for some goofball reason, after even 22 years of being a Christian, people want to downplay, oh, don't quote that verse at me in my trouble. Are you kidding me? I can't have my life on this verse. Outside of eternal security, what I'm about to read to you is the second most comforting scripture in the Bible, man. It's called Romans 8, 28. Man, this baby's awesome. Are you kidding me? Who wouldn't want to hear this when you're going through hard times? And this is from God. I'm not making this up. And we know that in some things. God, oh, I'm sorry. 
You guys can read. All, how much is all? Rhymes with all, for those of you wondering. <laughs> all things God works for the good of everybody on the planet. For those who love him. Do you love him? Are you his child? Are you born again? This is a special promise from God. God works all things together for good for those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now listen to this. I want to expose a little bit of Greek here. The Greek literally says this. It isn't just, and we know. Listen to what it is there in the Greek. And we know with an absolute knowledge. That's really what it says there. There is no doubt whatsoever in the Apostle Paul's mind here. This, listen, I, don't, I got this attribute down. I know with an absolute knowledge. There is no doubt in here. And did Paul go through some trials? <laughs> I got an absolute knowledge, right? Because have you noticed that sometimes when people go through trials, they get mad at God? Excuse me? Don't ever get mad at God. I like what one guy says, don't you ever, Christian, don't you ever let the words come out of your mouth that you want justice from God. Because if we got what we justly deserved, myself included, we'd be burning in hell. You need to thank God for his goodness and his mercy, right? But he says, I know this with an absolute knowledge, man, that God is, listen, all things, he's, work, listen, he's working together, resulting in good. That's what it says in the Greek. He is absolutely sure that there is this one aspect of God's kingdom, his righteousness, that God is good and he's working all things out together for good. Why? Because then he wouldn't be good. So I may not see it. I may not feel like it. I may not uh, I like it. But listen, by the eyes of faith, I have this absolute knowledge. I don't, listen, it's got to be good. God, maybe it's going to take some time, but somehow, someway, God's going to work this thing together for good. That's what Paul says. Don't you think that's a good truth to hold on to when you're going through hard times? And it's not just gritting your teeth if you really get this. I'm not worried about it. God is doing something good. That's what Paul is saying. Now, I've shared this verbally, this analogy before. Okay? And, uh, but uh, today I wanted to, like the psalmist, drill it into our heads. And so I want to visualize this analogy that I think is one of the best ones to explain Romans 8.28, God working all things together for good. And with that, I'm going to need the help of uh, some volunteer, uh, preferably somebody who has the spirit of Las Vegas all over them. Hey, you, sir, give it up here, folks. Thank you for... Hey, look, it's Kelvis. I'm seeking his kingdom. Kelvis is in the building, folks. Thank you, Kelvis, for joining us for today. And uh, Kelvis, you're looking mighty lean there. I don't know if you've been eating chicken and puking your guts out. But uh, I'm here to help you, uh, Kelvis, and uh, I want to give you something good. Would you like something good, something good to eat? Oh. <laughs> now, you're starting to upstage me, and that's kind of kind of... <laughs> All right, fine, Kelvis. Uh, that's right. <laughs> you want it. Okay, that's good. Well, I'll tell you what, Kelvis, how about we start off... I'm going to give you something really good. In fact, the package on it has... Uh, if you can take a look at it, it has cows on it. Mm. Yeah, it's movable. I tell you, it's great. But how about, Kelvis, to start off, I'll give you a cube of butter. How would you like to eat that? Wouldn't that be great? Mm, not so much. You don't want that? All right, I'll no. stick it in there. I'll tell you what. All right, Kel uh, uh, Kelvis, I'll tell you what, you don't want that? I'm telling you, it's good. You just got to trust me, okay? I'll tell you what, how about we just, um, how about a, a cup of flour? How about you just swallow that right now? You know what I'm saying? That would be awesome, wouldn't it? No, you're no, not into flour? No. All right, let's just put it in there. I'll get that going there. Oh, oh hey, I know what, Kelvis. I'll tell you what, how about this? Big old giant, this big old giant thing of, of baking soda. 
Wouldn't that be cool? Make you kind of foam a little bit. It might do something, but, but it is good. I'm, trust me, how about this? You want this? No, thank you. You don't want All right, no. you, all right let's just put that in there and tell you what. And, uh, but you, well, this, this one was really hard for me, folks, to work in this analogy, so I had to protect myself. All right, I'm told this is an egg, okay? I call it embryonic evil, because <laughs> that's where it starts, right? But, uh, Kelvis, how would you like to have a raw egg? It was shell and all. Wouldn't it be awesome? you got to be yoking me. <laughs> oh, man. I tell you what, you are from Vegas, aren't you? Well, we'll just put that in there. But I tell you what, Kelvis, tell you what, tell you what. Just, just trust me, okay? I'm telling you, this is good stuff. You're missing out, man. So I'll tell you what, why don't you just let me just stir this up a little bit here. And uh, believe it or not, Kelvis, if you just give me some time and trust me and all that stuff. And you know what? Next thing you know, Kelvis, I tell you what, this is exciting. It makes a pancake. Oh, boy. Uh, look at that. I mean, this is modern technology, Ron. Okay, hey, Kelvis, would you like to eat a pancake? Oh, boy, I would love one. Hey, give it up for Kelvis, right? Kelvis? Thank you, Kelvis. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very Thank you. much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. That's right. Wow, isn't that exciting? Let's close in prayer. No, let me explain the analogy, right? Now, I've said this before, but I want to visualize it because when we visualize it, it sticks in our brain better. Okay? It's a teaching technique. We take a look at our life, Christian, even with what God, we know Romans 8, 28, God works all things together for good. But what we do is we take that a circumstance and we go, God, this is gross, man. What's up with this? It's a cube of butter. Blech. What are you doing? I thought you said you loved me. Trust me, I know what I'm doing. And then he comes along and he says, I tell you what, I'm going to give you a cup of flour now of circumstances. You know what I'm saying? Go, God, well, I thought the butter was bad enough. What are you doing? It's getting worse. And then he brings in the baking soda and the embryonic evil or whatever that thing was, right? And all that stuff, right? But what's God saying? Would you trust me? Do you have an absolute knowledge that, listen, granted, you may not like the individual ingredient, but do you have an absolute knowledge that with another ingredient, another circumstance, give it some time, let God stir it together, he's making a pancake for you. He's doing something wonderful. Isn't that a wonderful truth? To receive and know with an absolute knowledge when, not if, hard times come? That's exactly what's going on. But you've got to believe it. Stop looking at just the single ingredient. Understand through the eyes of faith, God's working it together for good. Let me give you one more analogy. Corey Ten Boom, she did this one oftentimes, and she'd talk about uh, God's character. And what she would do is she would hold up uh, a piece of embroidery to her, her audiences. Kind of something like this. Sometimes it had like this really fancy nature scene on it, whatever. Something beautiful, something that had order, made sense, right, and all that stuff. And she would say that this is uh, showing us the, the God's view of our lives. And this is what he's doing with our lives. He's doing a masterpiece, something wonderful. And then what she would do is she would flip it around, and then she would expose the backside, all the tangled side, and, the, and the, 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 all the yarn and everything. It's like, what? That looks like a tangled little mess. And she said, that's how we view our lives from down here. But through the eyes of faith, we realize that, listen, no, when you get to heaven, you'll see that God knew exactly what he was doing. It was purposeful, orderful. It was beautiful. It was wonderful. Stop looking at the tangled mess. Trust him with an absolute knowledge. He knows what he's doing. Okay? He's either making a pancake for you or he's weaving a beautiful tapestry with your life. Isn't that good news? Of course it is. Now, here's the problem. We don't seem to have an absolute knowledge or an absolute belief in the goodness of God. And, and, and what we do, we, we forsake this wonderful truth. We downplay it. And we act like this does not apply to all circumstances. Because that's the funny little game that we say. We, we doubt, we waver. And we say, well, this can't be good. 
No, this is horrible. This is not. God, what, what are you doing? Excuse me? Are you questioning the character, the goodness of God? He said it. I didn't. If you're going to believe that he is taking care of you for all eternity with eternal security, don't you appreciate that truth? That he will lose none that come to him? No one can snatch you out of his hand? Isn't that comforting? Why don't you trust him with Romans 8, 28? And see, that's what we do. We sit there and say, oh, no, it's got to be bad because it's unpleasant, because it's painful. Now, listen to this. This is not some Pollyanna thing. I'm not saying that things that we go through in life aren't painful because sometimes they are. I'm not saying that they're bad in the sense that it hurts, okay? But listen, it's not that God's doing something, listen, bad for us or bad to us. He can't because he's good and he works all things together for good. Okay, and one of the easiest examples of this truth, what it does for you and how it will empower you to be peaceful in the midst of the horrible circumstances is with the case of Joseph. Remember Joseph and what he went through? You thought you had a bad day? You thought you had a rough family life? <laughs> this guy had a bad, man. You talk about trouble and pain. His brothers tried to kill him. They sold him into slavery. They lied to him about their father, that he was dead and he wasn't. He was falsely accused of rape. He was sent to prison. He helped a guy in prison who left them there to rot. And then one day his brothers showed up and they had the audacity to ask a favor from him. <laughs> and did you know the Bible actually records for us what he said to his bros on that day? Check this out. This is cool. This is in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. He says this. You guys are in big trouble because I'm going to hang you up by your toes and I'm going to skin you alive. I've been waiting for this justice. Oh, I'm sorry. Wrong translation. This really happened to him. You intended to harm me. Now, did he put his head in the sand? Oh, no, this isn't hurting. This is not pain. No, he, he said, no, you, you meant this for bad, but who overruled it? But God intended it for what? Good. Listen, not just for him, but for a whole bunch of other people. Intended for good to accomplish what is now being done. The saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I'll provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and he even spoke kindly to him. To his whole family, he spoke kindly to Can you believe that? The guys who set him up, tried to kill him, sold him, and slay What? Was he faking it? Or is this the power of understanding this aspect, seeking first God's kingdom and his righteousness? That he is good. And even though people might try to do and do certain bad things to you, it didn't happen unless God allowed it. You're not responsible for somebody else's behavior. Do you know that? Be free of that. But you are accountable to God, Christian, for your reaction to their behavior. And God allowed it for good, just like with Joseph. And when you understand his goodness, you're at peace. And so today I want to close with one more analogy. And hopefully this will get drilled into our heads. So we can have this absolute knowledge that, listen, God knows what he's doing, even in the hard times. And just trust in his goodness. You need to translate your experiences according to what God says. In fact, what we really need to get, folks, get this. I'm here for you today. Only in Vegas, right, can you get something like this. You ready, ready Kelvis? Right? And this is it. We need to get a translator device. If you want to experience peace on a regular basis, a translator device. Like this guy's got. Watch this, Bobby. You ready? Okay, here we go. Hey, are you golfing today? Yeah. It's the second time this week. But you said it was fine. It is fine. It's perfectly fine. Are you confused by female behavior? Wish you had a translator to understand what she means? Well, you're in luck. 
Introducing the Manslator, a revolutionary device that translates woman language into simple man words. Finally, the power to know what she means. Okay, cool. Let me just check with my wife. Hey, babe, a tea time opened up later. You mind if I go? Fine. If that's what you want to do. No go! Stay home! On second thought, I think I'll just stay here with you and watch The Notebook. Aw, how sweet. Now that's more like it. The Manslator uses emotion deciphering technology to help you out of the toughest jams. Hey, is everything okay? You sound upset. Why would I be upset? Forgot anniversary, jerk. Oh, no way. Happy anniversary, babe. You remembered. Come on, of course I did. <laughs> Thanks to the Manslater's patented FemLogic processing chip, now any man can decode statements like... Are you wearing that? You change! Now! Hey, do you want to get some coffee? Me want coffee! Do you think she's pretty? You think she? Prettier than me? Aw, you're such a good friend. Me never date you! I'm fine. Me not fine! I'll be ready in five minutes. Me ready 30 minutes. Do whatever you want. You know do what you want. The Manslator can even be customized, with voices of real celebrities being impersonated, like Yoda. In much trouble you are, do the doghouse go you. Or Mr. T. I pity the fool who leaves the toilet seat up. So get your Manslator today. Clarity is just a phone call away. You need buy me. All right, man, let's be honest, man. On your way home, how many guys are going to call that number? You need by me. Raise your hand. Woo! All right, let me translate something for you. Those of you who can raise your hand, it's going to be a long ride home. Okay, you don't need a manslater for that one. I can't believe you did that. But anyway, that's right, I set you up. Okay, <laughs> here's the point, folks. This kind of translating device, hopefully there's a good uh, analogy here, uh, is what we need if we're going to enjoy God's peace, listen, in the midst of our, listen, calamities. Only, believe it or not, as cool as it was, it's not the manslater, it's what I call the word slater, the word of God. And I want to show you, believe it or not, folks, you don't even need batteries for this. Right? And odds are you already got one, at least one of these devices with you wherever you go. It's called the Word Slater, okay? And here's what you do with this device. You need to translate all your experiences you go through. Translate them with the Word Slater, okay, according to what God has to say about your circumstances, okay? Let me show you how it works. For instance, maybe you're here today. Maybe you're getting low on finances, okay? Things are getting a little tight. You're wondering how in the world you're going to pay your bills. Maybe you're starting to freak out. Maybe you're starting to worry unlike you don't have to. What do you do? You bust out the word slater and you translate your experience. It says this, Psalm 37, 5. I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging for bread. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Philippians 4, 19. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his glory in Christ Jesus, okay? That's what the word Slater does. You go through your circumstances, translate it through here, have a great day.
But that's just your finances. Maybe you're here today, and maybe the, the enemy's laughing at you. He's scoffing at you. He's tormenting you. And he's because, uh, man, <laughs> you blew it big time this week with sin, man. He's making you feel like just a little a dirt ball. It's like, oh, how could you even show up today, Christian? What do you do? You bust out the word slater, and you translate your experience. Romans 8, 1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Psalm 1. 312 as far as the east is from the west so far has god removed our transgressions from us and hebrews 8 12 for god will forgive all our wickedness and remember our sins no more you translate whatever you're going through through the word slater it's right here before us just do it one more we're living the last days things are heating up and i believe persecution is going to come big time and so maybe you're starting to feel that Maybe people are starting to threaten you because you're a Christian. Maybe they're persecuting because you're standing on the word of God like John Frith. Maybe they're saying, we're going to get you. We're going to take your life. We're going to take you down. And you're starting to freak out. You're starting to get afraid. What do you You bust out once again the word slater. God is the one who's in control, and he's good. Hebrews 13, 6. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Psalm 18, 2 through 3. The Lord is my rock. He's my fortress, my deliverer, my rock in whom I take refuge. He's my shield, my horn of salvation. I call upon the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I am saved from my enemies. Psalm 27, 1 and 3. The Lord is my light and salvation. Whom shall shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though a war break out against me, even then will I be confident. Psalm 91 says, he who dwells in the shelter of the most high will rest in the shadow of the almighty. I will save the Lord. He is my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare, from the deadly pestilence. He'll cover you with his feathers and under his wings. You will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror by night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. Listen, a thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. Why? Because 1 John 4, 4 says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. You translate the threats with the word slaters and go to sleep. Everything we go through goes through this translation device. Because this is what God has to say. And you could take it to the bank. He is good. He is so good and so powerful that he'll even take the bad things that people do to you like Joseph. And he'll stir it around for something good. And you may not understand it completely. But I guarantee you when we get to heaven we'll say wow. Did I do a bunch of whining and complaining and grumbling and worry for nothing? God, you made a masterpiece. Wouldn't it be awesome to realize that now before we get there? That's what Paul says. Do you have an absolute knowledge of the goodness of God? And when you do, no matter what you have to go through, translate it. Listen, you'll not only experience God's peace on a regular basis, but he'll lead you into places where people need to see the goodness of God and see in you the peace of God. Lead them to Jesus. That's a life worth living for. Amen? Let's be those people. Let's be that church here in Las Vegas and around the world. Amen? Well, hi. This is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries. And I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go... 
Let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven. And that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay, how many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, We've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, It could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, That means that we're a thief, okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy, okay? And folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that, and it's just as bad. He knows the mind. He knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God. And you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. 
We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell, and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him, to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 
702-452-89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.